following is a recording of a sermon given at All Saints Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Canada. For additional messages and more information, visit allsaintslutheran.ca. So for today's reading, it has been taken from the book of Psalms, 51 chapter from verse 1 to 19. And it's written like this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in my sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, my delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your way, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praises. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure, build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the right sacrifices, in the burnt offerings and the whole burnt offerings. Then the bulls will be offered on your altar. Word of the God. As we're continuing our series that I've entitled Just Like Us, as we examine various Bible characters to see that they're just like us so that we could become just like them, we're looking at David who wrote that psalm that was just read for us. David is a very unusual character. I believe the term for such a person today has become Renaissance man, somebody who is Um, gifted and able in so many different things. He was a shepherd, a military leader, a political leader, a songwriter, and musician, to name some of his talents. We're going to be looking at David as we prepare to celebrate communion together, and you will see why as we go along. So as I've been doing, I'll do an overview of 
of David's life. And then we're going to look at one particular aspect. And again, one of the reasons why we can think of these people who are just like us, and they're not these heroes that are separate from normal human life, they're actually just like us, it's because the Bible gives us a clear and honest window into their hearts and their lives. Biblical characters, when we look at the biblical characters, we're exposed to the good, the bad, and the ugly of their lives. They are just like us. And so David is unusually described uh, by God himself as a man after his own heart. What had happened was the first king of Israel was Saul, Saul started off well, and then he became proud, and he did some things that were contrary to God's will, to the point that God decided to remove him as king. In fact, replace him with someone else who he refers to. He speaks to the prophet Samuel. He's the one that uh, had originally set up Saul as king under God's direction. And now God tells Samuel to go appoint another king, and this person is a man after God's own heart. He was the youngest of eight boys. He worked as a shepherd. When Samuel came to David's father's house, David's father was Jesse, and he didn't know yet from God who, which ones of Jesse's sons would be the new king. Um, he interacts with the first seven and the king was not yet found, which says a lot about probably what they thought about David as he was not in the house, he was out in the field. And he ended up being the one, the man after God's own heart. As I mentioned, David was a musician, a songwriter, and a singer, apart from other things. And um, what happened was the, the uh, King Saul begins to go through some sort of oppression, a demonic oppression, due to the fact that he had sinned as badly as he did and God had left him. And we read about an unclean spirit begins to harass him. And someone comes up with an idea that we would call music therapy today. They heard that there was this young man, David, who played the lyre. And perhaps if David came and played his music for Saul, the oppression would be um, lessened. Um, and so this is what happens. And da- so David, having already been anointed as the next king, this is all done in secret at this point. Nobody but those who were with Samuel and his family knew that he would be the next king. All of a sudden, he gets this invitation into the king's court. And if I would have been David, if David would have been me, however that works, but you know what I mean, I would think, look at that. God's working out his plan, which he was, but not exactly as maybe David expected it. So here he is, just a common shepherd boy. Nobody knows that he was going to be, only a few people knew he was going to be the next king. And now he's actually working for the king. Very few people would have that kind of close proximity and get to do something that would be so appreciated. Well, then something else happens. It appears that uh, David was working part-time for Saul as this music therapist, and at other times he'd be back in the field in his shepherd's job. And 
then comes the story of this gigantic champion, Goliath, who is taunting the armies of Israel and says that if send me somebody to fight, if I beat him, you must be our servants. And it, but if uh, he beats me, then we, the Philistines, will be your servants. And nobody is willing to fight the, the Goliath. He complete uh, fight Goliath. He completely intimidates the masses, and they are the armies of Israel are terrified. So one day, David's father Jesse sends David. I know you know the story. He sends David to. Uh, bring some food to his brothers who are serving in the army of Israel. And David overhears Goliath's taunts. And he's wondering why nobody is willing to fight him. And so he decides that he will do it. And, of course, people think he's just being proud, but he's talking about it. And finally he's taken to the king. And he, and he says very confidently that he has experience dealing with very difficult, violent situations because as a shepherd, sometimes wild animals would come to attack the sheep and he would attack the wild animals and kill them. And, he's, and he learned something, that God was with him in his, in his shepherd work and the same God who delivered him from the paw of the lion and the bear would deliver this uncircumcised Philistine into his hands. And so he fights Goliath, and I don't want to go into too much detail, and he, to the surprise of a lot of people, slays Goliath and wins a great victory, and through him gives much confidence to the army of Israel. Because of this, he becomes extremely popular popular to the point that there was, a, there was a song that seemed to be the number one hit in Israel at the time, a song that um, extolled Saul's great exploits as a warrior king, but David was even better. Well, talk about just like us, Saul reacted like a lot of people would and becomes very jealous of, of David. To make matters worse for Saul, his Firstborn son, Jonathan, becomes best friends with David. So there's a very interesting connections going on here, connections and tension. Well, uh, Saul attempts to kill David twice, even though David uh, was um, part of his, his close entourage. Um, he also was to marry the king's daughter because of the victory over Goliath and Saul was so enraged with jealousy over David he even begins to understand that David's going to somehow that David's going to to replace him as king so Saul tries to kill him twice David escapes both times eventually with the help of Jonathan determines that Saul really does want to kill him uh, and his only option left is to run away, which he does. While he's living out in the wilderness in caves, uh, his family and other people who were really struggling at the time begin to gather around him and he actually um, ends up with his own army and eventually... While David had the opportunity a couple of times to kill Saul, 
and some thought this was God's opportunity for him, he knew that he was not to lay a hand on the king of Israel, the Lord's anointed, and waited until the time that Saul would die on his own, so to speak. And he and his son, Jonathan, David's best friend, die in battle. And that sets up the situation where David himself becomes king. Not only does he become king, he unites the country, he strengthens the country and expands the kingdom of Israel. He's the one to whom God gives the vision to build the temple that his son Solomon built after David died. After God gives him these great promises, explains to him what's going to happen with the temple, and actually says that it would be through his lineage a greater than a great, great, great king would come who we eventually know to be the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. He's given that promise, and his his kingdom is so firmly established that David does great evil. He commits adultery and then tries to cover up this great sin by, uh, by a devious plot that doesn't actually work. So in the end, he arranges for the murder of the woman's husband. And, so, and we read in the scripture that this displeased the Lord. So this man who is the man after God's own heart displeased the Lord greatly. He used position and power for his own benefit. Eventually, the prophet Nathan confronts David, and David's immediate response to that confrontation, and you might wonder why he didn't deal with it earlier, but he's just like us. And yet one way that he may not be like us, but in a way that he should be like us, when Nathan confronted David that he had seriously sinned, David said, I have sinned. And Nathan's response, speaking God's word to David, was the Lord has removed your sin from you. I wonder how many of us focus more on David's sin than the fact that he continued to be and actually was always a man after God's own heart, a man after God's own heart who loved God and sought God and did God's will, and yet he messed up terribly in the incident of Bathsheba and her husband Uriah. It was serious. It caused a lot of trouble to occur um, in his own family and in the kingdom of Israel, and yet... God remains faithful to him and establishes an ongoing dynasty. And we see this stated by God a couple of times in 1 Kings chapter 9, verses 4 and 5. God is speaking to David's son Solomon, who became the next king. And he says to him, As for you, Solomon, if you walk before me as David your father walked, with integrity of heart and uprightness. Oh, but didn't he do that terrible thing? Doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, saying, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. So when God, after David is, has already died, talking to his son Solomon, God affirms that David walked with integrity of heart and uprightness. 
Then later on to Solomon's grandson, 1 Kings chapter 15, 1 through 5, we read, Now in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Abijam began to reign over Judah. He reigned for three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Makkah, the daughter of Abishalom. And he walked in all the sins that his father did before him, referring to um, Solomon's son Rehoboam. So he, he walked in all the sins that his father did before him, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem, setting up his son after him and establishing Jerusalem, because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. So except for his sin of adultery and the setting up of murder, horrible, Integrity marked David's life. David did great wrong, but he dealt with it before God. The reason why some of us might have difficulty understanding what we want either we want the great godly man David, or oh, he could have been a great godly man, but he blew it. Oh, and he's just like us, a horrible sinner needing God's grace. We, we all are sinners and need God's grace. That's true. But how are we going to look at David? Are we going to look at him as God says? A man of integrity? Or are we going to focus on the horrible wrong that he did and let that define him? Now, is God doing what some people do? Is God just letting David off the hook because, oh, well, you know, he's David after all? Well, The reason why we have trouble in connecting as we should with God's perspective on David is we tend to have all or nothing thinking. There's two errors that we tend to fall into that prevents us from understanding how God looks at David, which means we have trouble um, seeing how God looks at us and we have difficulty understanding how God looks at others who have wronged. So the first error is we tend to think, and you've heard this probably from this pulpit, but not from me. The error number one, all sin is alike. That is not Bible. It is true that nobody has a right to say that they're worse than, like, I can't say they're worse than me. Their sins are worse than my sins. It is true we are all sinners. And because we've all broken God's law, we all deserve God's judgment in a general way. We all need Jesus' um, death for us to save us. There are no exceptions. But to say that all sin is alike is is so destructive. It's so unbiblical. To say that the rapist, the serial rapist, is at the same level as the, the person who's struggling inside about doing the right thing and perhaps has uh, fudged the truth in some small way. I'm not, if, I'm not excusing 
white, what we call white lies. I am not. But when Jesus said, and he, he taught that lusting after a woman in one's heart is committing adultery, that's not to say that the person struggling with lustful thoughts and is fighting that, sometimes giving into it, but then asking God to forgive them and continues to struggle to say that they are on the same level as a pastor that we knew years ago who was sleeping around with women in their church, in our church. They are not the same. They should not be dealt with in the same way. We should all daily confess our sins to the Lord and treat even the smallest sins, we should treat them seriously. But not all sins are equal. The struggling person trying to make ends meet that maybe has fudged, has, I'm not uh, excusing, um, exaggerating on our taxes. I'm not saying that we should do that. But to say that he, that person is the same as Hitler is not biblical. That's why our society rightly has different kind of penalties for different kinds of crimes. That is biblical. The second error is this idea that what I wrote down is forgiveness is forgiveness, but I really should say we tend to think forgiveness is forgiveness is forgiveness is forgiveness. This kind of idea that as long as we have Jesus in our heart, we're good. Now, of course, I am pretty sure this has been taught here. But I'll put my life on the line for this. That's also nonsense. It is very clear in the scripture that serious sin can get you into big trouble, both in this life and in the life to come. There are warnings throughout scripture to tell us that if, if, if those people who trample the blood of Jesus should not expect anything but fiery judgment. And read in the book of Revelation, I, I, believe it or not, I try to keep my messages short because there is so much to say about something like this. In the book of Revelation, it's clear that certain sins prevent us from entering eternal life. In fact, they send us into the lake of fire with the devil. Let us not think that, that leaders, Christian leaders, who have had wonderful ministries and yet have lived double lives, harming people, covering it up, they should only expect judgment. And this should be a warning to all of us to deal with our sins, even the small ones, because it's often the small ones that are undealt with, that lead to the big ones that become undealt with. If we do not take sin seriously, we will be overcome with it. But So what makes David different? It's interesting, in, in Psalm 51 that was read for us, verse, verses 18 and 19, David says, Do good to Zion. In your good pleasure, build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices. You know, I, sorry, this was a, I got a little confused here. I wasn't going to bring this in at this point. Um, I'll get to that in a second. 
The th- I mentioned earlier, the thing that made David, David different is that when he was confronted with his sin, he confessed out loud. No excuses, no reasons, nothing else. When Nathan said, you are the man who did these things, David said, absolutely. And that's the difference. He didn't hide. He didn't cover up. He had covered up, but not at this point. And when we do that, and we say it every week as part of our confession, if we confess our sins, he is just and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But saying the words and never actually naming our sins, never confessing the wrongs that we've done, skeletons in the closet, dust under the rug, whatever metaphor that you want to use, if we continue to hide our sin, we have no right to claim God's favor in our lives. As we celebrate communion together, this idea that we could just do whatever we want and hide those things that displease the Lord like David did, if we think we can hide those things and get away with it, we are very, very wrong. And Paul gives us such a warning. Gives us such a warning in the section in 1 Corinthians 11 that has to do with communion. Verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Christians and judgment? How could they ever go together? Because I thought just by believing in him and being baptized, we're all good. That is a lie. That's a lie from the devil. That's not a truth from the Bible. Paul was concerned that people were taking part in communion in such a way that was bringing judgment upon themselves. My brothers and sisters, the hour is too late to treat these things lightly. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. If we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. We need to take this seriously. That we would walk as children of God as he's called us to. That we would not be mocking the blood and body of the Lord by taking advantage of of his offer of forgiveness and eternal life, but rather because he so loves us, because he wants our good, we could be free to admit our sins. And what I read a moment ago out of order was that this is not just about us. In David's great psalm of confession and repentance, he says, Verse 18, do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then 
Will you delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings? Then bulls will be offered on your altar. What he's saying here near the end of the psalm, the last two verses, is this is not just about me. He understood that him being out of sorts with God made the nation out of sorts. Now, not all of us have the kind of influence that David had as king of Israel, but we all have influence in our church, in our families, in our workplaces. And when we are out of sorts with God, it affects our relationships. It affects the communities that we are a part of. So if whatever you're thinking about that thing that you've never admitted to anyone, you need to be set free, not just for yourself, but for your loved ones as well. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca.